Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm a best-selling author and longtime journalist. This podcast is all about helping you live your healthiest, happiest life, whether we're learning how real people learn to love their bodies, breaking down investment and other money stuff to make it accessible and, dare I say, even fun, or hacking our happiness with the latest neuroscience. And yes, those are all real episodes, so if any of those topics sound good to you, scroll on back in the archives. Today we have a topic that was actually requested by a listener, how to be happier at work. As we talk about in the episode, we spend so many of our waking hours at work. So while I don't think that your job has to be your absolute passion, and we talk about that in way more detail in the episode, I do think it's worth trying not to have that time feel miserable or like a total waste. At its best, work can be a place of transformation for us to explore our relationship with ourself and others, for us to grow and learn and expand, and I hope that this episode helps you get there. My guest today is Amina Altai, a leading business and career coach. Amina is an entrepreneur magazine expert in residence and has been featured in Goop, Well and Good, The New York Post, Yahoo, NBC, and more. She's helped leaders at Slack, Snapchat, Refinery29, the United Nations, the New York Times, The Gap, and more achieve a career that feels good and functions better. And I am so excited about all of the wisdom and insight that she shares in this episode. We get into the one question to ask yourself to figure out what impact you want to have in the world and what impact is actually possible. An exact equation to decide if you should switch jobs or careers, the four causes of burnout, and how to specifically address each one, a science-based script for setting better boundaries with your boss, what to do if you hate your boss or coworkers, what to do if you hate your job but you don't feel like you have the skills to get another job, a plan for if you feel underpaid or undervalued, time management skills to feel better and get more done, how to beat the Sunday scaries, and so much more. Whether you're a solo entrepreneur, working at a big corporation, or something in between, there is something in here for you that will completely change the way that you approach your working hours. We also have a really exciting giveaway for this episode. Like, you are going to love this one. So definitely stay tuned till the end to find out how to enter. Meanwhile, Amina and I would love to hear from you as you're listening, so screenshot and tag us both on social media. She is at Amina Altai, A-M-I-N-A-A-L-T-A-I, and I am at Liz Moody. Okay, let's get happier at work with Amina Altai. Amina, I am so glad to have you here. I'm such a huge fan of your work, and I'm so excited to have you help all of us be happier at work. We spend so much time at work. So it's kind of crazy that sometimes we're just like, oh, we'll just like power through and not prioritize it as a place to really be happier and feel content and fulfilled. Yes. Well, thank you for having me. We talked about this before, but I really fangirled out and getting to be with you today. I have such a fan of your work. It's been so inspiring. And I totally agree with you. We spend more of our heartbeats at work than we do anywhere else. And I'm of the belief that it should feel really freaking amazing if we can get there. And there's lots of tools and strategies and tactics that we can do to shift our experience there. So super excited to share that with all of you today. I'm so curious. Do you think everybody can be happy at work? Or do you think that for society to function, some people need to do jobs that are inherently really boring and kind of sucky? I think that's a great question. So I think that we all have an opportunity to feel more aligned in the context of our work. 
But also it's a form of privilege to feel amazing in our work all day, every day, to get to stand in our gifts, to do the work that we love. And not everybody gets there because of the world that we live in. And that is real talk. Also, it's really interesting kind of the concept of boring because what might be boring to you or I to somebody else might be incredible. Like for example, there's somebody on my team that is a director of operations and I could not put together an SOP to save my life, but this person loves operations so much and just like can't wait to operationalize everything. And I'm like, bless you for existing and for finding that joyful. Yeah, that's my husband's entire job. He likes it. He codes and then like a unicorn appears on the screen. And I'm just like, I'm glad you enjoy this, man. This is so good for you. It's a miracle. (laughs) Bless him for doing that. Do you think... It's good to have your job be your passion, though. I think there's a lot of talk about whether you ruin your passions by turning them into your job and you should keep them as this pure, pristine thing over on the side. I don't think that there's actually a right way to do our careers. I think that it's really individual to each of us. There are ways that we can be more aligned. For some people, myself included, we can be on the court with our passions and it can feel really good. I mean, it's taken a lot of effort to get here. And then I've also worked with people that feel like they want to keep their work as their nine to five, where they get a really good salary that they can then invest in their kids' education and their hobbies and their passion projects. And they get that they're fill of passion outside of work and they're super happy with that too. So I think it really is situational and it depends on alignment and what feels possible and available to you because not everybody feels like they can jump off the cliff and leave their job and dig into their passions. It doesn't feel available to everybody. And if it feels good for you to build that outside of work, that's a beautiful thing too. So it's about sort of knowing yourself and not, I feel like societal pressure to like, entrepreneurship so cool. Everybody should start their own business, blah, blah, blah. But it's like knowing yourself and whether that's the right path for you and not, I guess, berating yourself if it's not. Absolutely. Entrepreneurship isn't for everybody. There's no right or wrong way to do our careers. You know, I think that we have this perception that careers should be linear and we should pick one thing and it should be our passion and then we should be done with it. But I don't think that's true, especially nowadays. Maybe back in the day when we only lived until we were 30, careers were linear and we did one thing, but now we live until we're 80, 90, 100. And so we get to reinvent ourselves as the world around us is growing and reinventing as well. And I think that if we're constantly questioning and bringing in that level of self-awareness, we can make our work feel really good, but there's no right or wrong way to do it. Do you think there's any questions we could ask ourselves or like an exercise we could do to figure out if entrepreneurship would actually be satisfying for us. Is there anything we could do to self-reflect on what type of person we are in that way? There's a couple of things. Like we all have a different relationship with autonomy. So I think understanding where we index in that relationship, like if all traits are a spectrum, how connected do you feel to autonomy? Like, is it a 10 or is it a one for you? Because I think that's an important thing to know because you're going to have a lot of that if you're creating your own business and your own direction. And by that, you mean just like not having anybody tell you what to do, being individual, going through the world? Yeah. And a self-starter, right? Oftentimes when you are an entrepreneur, you have to set your own direction. And how comfortable do you feel about that? I actually have this framework that helps us sort of figure out the great work of our lives. I believe that the great work of our lives sits the intersection of what we're most exceptional at, what we value, what brings us joy what we need and what we want to impact. The needs piece, I think, is a really big one because I think sometimes Mm. we look at our values, we look at what brings us joy, we look at our gifts, 
But what's the context in which you want to birth this? Because if you want to birth it with an amazing team and Mm. structure, then maybe you want to birth it inside of an organization. But if you're open and you have a higher risk tolerance and you're willing to lean into that autonomy, maybe you want to birth it in a way that is entrepreneurial. Context is so important and really honoring your need. Particularly as women and underrepresented folks, we have a hard time honoring our needs because we haven't been taught to prioritize them. But if we can look at that and ask ourselves what we really need in the context of our work, it's really going to set us up to figure out, is it entrepreneurial? Is it inside of a corporate context? Are there other examples of things people might need that we might not be thinking of? Like you said, it is sometimes it's like we're so divorced from what we need and we're so told over and over that our needs don't matter that it can be hard to even sit there and think like, oh, this is what I need. Yeah. Salary needs, I think, are really important. Like, do you need a paycheck or are you open to flexibility there? Because I think that that will help you land on one side or the other. You know, what do you need in terms of a support team? And there's, again, no right or wrong way to career, no right or wrong way to be. But if you need a lot of support and that's not available Mm. from day one of entrepreneurship, maybe you do need to be inside of a corporate container. What do you need in terms of other resources? Like, do you need a company that's willing to invest in you in terms of personal development and supporting your family in terms of, you know, daycare and things like that? Needs can really range and run the gamut, but getting really clear on what you desire and what would be really nice to have. And then what are some must-haves for you too? Can you talk through a little bit the other parts of the framework that you said? There's five, right? Yep, exactly. So we have our gifts. Those are the areas where we are just like off the charts amazing. And Basically, our gifts are innate for us. We don't have to like push or force to be amazing at the thing. It's just you know, what comes through us naturally. So for you, it's, you know, communication, like all the ways that you communicate, I think are so beautiful and appear so effortless from my point of view. So that might be a gift, right? And so we want to operate in those exceptional zones, the space where what we, we produce comes through us quite readily. We don't have to force or push because what happens is, is when we stand in that space versus a space that we're like quite good at, In the space that we're quite good at, we use a lot of energy, we use a lot of mind share, we use a lot of push and force to be excellent at the thing, that it tends to lead to burnout. Before I was a coach, I worked in marketing and brand management, and I was very good at that, but I was not exceptional at that. It was not my gift. And so I worked so hard to be good at it that I eventually burned out and developed two autoimmune diseases. So there's a difference between the spaces that we're really good and the spaces where our gifts are just innate. How do we identify what our gifts are? Self-reflection, self-awareness, asking ourselves, okay, what do I contribute to a space? When I walk in a room, what do I bring in that wasn't there before? When I'm on a project, what am I bringing that wasn't there before? What do I layer in? What are the things that people reflect to me as my most exceptional abilities? The people that really see me, what are they saying that I'm amazing at? Asking friends that you really trust and that see you fully what they think that you contribute that far outpaces others. Mm. And not from a competitive hustle culture type way, but just in terms of being able to see you fully and honor your contribution. And what if somebody is like, I'm not good at anything? I don't believe that's true. I've never met a person that wasn't good at anything. But what if they feel that way? You know what I mean? What if they've been beaten down by their job for so long and they just feel like their circumstances are shitty and they're just like, I'm not exceptional at anything. I'm good enough at a lot of things maybe, but I'm not exceptional. Yeah, that's very real and and all feelings are valid. I want to honor that. 
that might be when we want to actually ask people that love us and see us fully what they think that we're really exceptional at. Or if you've gotten performance reviews where people have highlighted the things that you are doing that are off the charts amazing. Mm. Or, you know, I actually have this folder in my email too, where I save really wonderful emails that I've gotten from clients or friends. Oh, I love that. I have a folder in my photos on my iPhone. And when people send me really nice DMs, I screenshot it and I put it in this little folder of like, read this when you're feeling like you're not making a difference in the world or when you want to feel like your job matters and your purpose in life is being fulfilled, like all these things. So I just go back and I'll read it sometimes. It makes me feel really good. Yes. It's so beautiful. And there's probably breadcrumbs in there for where you are off the charts. Genius. Mm, Okay. Interesting. Okay. What's the next one? The next one is values. So what do you value in this world? And, you know, pre-pandemic, Deloitte had their shift index survey and they said that four out of five of us were somewhat dissatisfied with our jobs. And I think a lot of it has to do with values because when we're not aligned with the values of an organization, it's really hard to feel motivated and to play all out for it. When I worked in my marketing career, I could often be heard saying, you know, well, it's not like I'm saving lives. And I wasn't really aligned with the values of the space that I was working in. But nowadays, I'm like, yes, transformation. We're doing all the amazing work over here. Like, I feel values aligned. What's the third one? The third one is joy. So a lot of people, and I used to be one of them, feel like joy is kind of the destination, but it's an input. It's a very necessary input. So when we're making that list of where we are most exceptional, we want to also highlight the ones that bring us the most joy. So what feels really good? Because joy is a catalyst that lights the way for work to feel really good. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. A lot of what we talk about on this podcast are low-hanging fruit, little things you can add to your day that will make a huge difference in your health or mindset or just life in general. This product is one of those things for me. While a lot of health stuff is cumulative and all about consistency, this is one of those few things that I notice a difference literally right away. I'm talking, of course, about AG1 by Athletic Greens. I know some of you are scared that this is an overhyped product because you hear so many people talking about it, but I would never promote something that I didn't stand behind entirely. And in this case, it's just one of those things that's super hyped because it's actually that good. Here's the basics. You take a scoop of AG1 and mix it into water, juice, or a smoothie. I like water because I actually really like the taste of AG1, but if you're less keen on the taste, my hot tip is to shake it with ice cubes. It makes a huge difference. But I do really love the flavor. People always ask if I'm lying when I say that, and I'm not. I've really come to crave it. It tastes like bubblegum or tropical vanilla. I will say I might crave it because it makes me feel so good. It's like a Pavlovian response where I'm obsessed with the flavor because I associate it with how good I feel after drinking it. Okay, so you take a scoop, chug whatever you're drinking it with, and boom, you have this incredible insurance that you've gotten your foundational nutrition in, regardless of how the rest of the day goes. Because we're trying to eat all the veggies, all the mushrooms and seaweeds, but we're not perfect, and that's okay. AG1 has 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, and adaptogens to cover your bases. Right after I drink it, I feel like a gentle energy. It's not at all jittery like caffeine, but more just like you just woke up from the best night of sleep. It gives me a ton of mental clarity and clears any sluggishness or brain fog that I have, which is why even though a lot of people start their day with it, I actually prefer to drink mine in the early afternoon, right when I have that 3 p.m. slump. And it's not a placebo effect. AG1 has so many ingredients that have been extensively researched for their brain health effects, like rhodiola root dry extract, hawthorn berry, and rosemary, just to name a few. 
It also has less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, and no artificial anything. And they're third-party tested, which is always so important to look for. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash healthier together. The vitamin D3 and K2 is amazing. You actually always want to make sure that you look for K2 with your D3 because the K2 helps the D transport calcium to your bones where it's needed rather than calcifying in your arteries, which we do not want. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash healthier together to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Now let's get back to the episode. And that's one I think that can also be a little hard to get in touch with. Sometimes you can be like, oh, I'm just treading water. I don't know what brings me joy. But I do think I had a moment like that a while back and I started to literally just mark my mood after I completed any activity. So on a scale of one to 10, I would be like, one, hated it. 10, I feel really great and proud of myself. And it was really interesting. It was when I actually narrowed in on loving the podcast so much and I changed it from every Mm. other week to every week and put way more of my time and effort into it, which has paid off hugely. But it's because I realized that that's where my joy was. Such a beautiful story. Everyone listen to Liz and do an exercise like that. I think that is so helpful. And the other caveat that I'll add there too is someone who is sort of a recovering people pleaser and who used to have codependent traits. I wasn't super in touch with my joy. I was like, oh, the places where people celebrate me brings me joy. Yeah. I still suffer from that to an extent. Yeah, same. I think it's something that a lot of us are navigating. And so if you can separate out the external validation from what sets your soul and your heart on fire, I think that that is even more incredible and juicy and there's something beautiful there for you. If you can't get there in the first step, that's totally fine. We are all becoming. How do we do that? Literally, how how do you separate out the external validation from what actually makes us happy? If you can solve that for me, you'll like solve a huge chunk of my mental health issues. Yeah. Asking ourselves of like, does this really bring me joy or am I getting joy from the validation? Is it okay to get joy from a boss being like, you did so great on that project? Or for me, like from getting a lot of likes or views on a video or a lot of downloads on a podcast, like is external validation an okay metric as well? Or do you think we shouldn't be going by that at all? I mean, it's 2022. We should get the joy (laughs) where we can get it. Okay. Fair. But when it comes to motivation, right, we have external motivation, we have internal motivation, intrinsic, extrinsic, and there's no right or wrong way to be motivated. If we are happen to be motivated about from things okay. outside of ourselves, that is totally fine. We're not going to shame ourselves because of it, because it moves the needle for us. If we can come back to our why and in-source, powerful, because I think that helps us be in the work for a lifetime and not just a season. But if that's what's working for you right now, go with that. Okay. Number four impact. What are the things that you want to impact in the world, in your family, in the community? And so we don't all have to be here to, you know, change the entire world to solve the climate crisis. It can be as much as just showing up differently in our family and healing the lineage. What are the things that you really want to impact? Because when we connect to that broader impact versus just who we be in the world, I think it really shifts the conversation for us. Is there a way to zero in on that? Because I think that sometimes when we think about impact, we do think about these larger things and then you can Mm -hmm. start to feel discouraged. Is there a way to kind of figure out what types of impact are possible for you that you're also in alignment with? 
I would start by asking yourself, what do you want to leave better than you found it? And it could be, you know, I, I want to leave my family better than I found it. I want to leave my neighborhood better than I found it. I want to leave this park better than I found it. It can be as big or as small as you desire, as long as it feels true for you and it sets your heart on fire. That's a beautiful thing. And number five? Is needs. So that's the way we already talked about. Yeah, to show up fully in this work. If we are looking at our job and we have like all five of those things and they're all great, that's great, right? That means that we're probably in a really good fit of a career for us. Yes. Congratulations. Sounds like you are very aligned. (laughs) If you're missing one or missing two or missing three, is that a sign you should be rethinking things? Is there like a tipping point where you should be thinking about making a transition or change? When it comes to joy and gifts, I have like a 60-40 rule. So if 60% of the time you feel like you're on the court with your gifts and you're feeling a sense of joy, that's a really wonderful thing. Because real talk, we all have aspects of our roles that we find challenging or that don't always feel amazing. But if we're in that 60-40 space, amazing. Wait, so 60 is the joy and 40 is not the joy. Yeah, exactly. And so if we find ourselves where the not joy is outweighing the joy, then maybe there's a bigger conversation that we want to have there. And if it feels like it's time and it feels like it's available for us to have those deeper conversations and we can make change, great. Okay. And so that's the joy one, but what about the rest of them? Which ones are a sign that something greater needs to happen? With the needs, I always invite people to make a must-have list, a nice-to-have, and Mm. a deal-breakers list. If we're checking the boxes on all your deal breakers, I think that that's something that we really need to have a serious conversation about of, okay, this organization is not respecting me and my needs aren't met and I'm not doing the work that I love, then I think that there's a bigger conversation there. So must-haves, nice-to-haves, deal breakers. And if we're checking the box on all the deal breakers, something's probably got to shift. And for impacts and values? It depends on how important that is for you, right? Values are very important for me, and I know I want to feel values aligned. That's not true for everybody. So if values are very important for you and you feel values misaligned, again, a bigger conversation. And then impact may also be something that isn't super important for you, and it also may be important for you. So let's say, for example, you work in a job that pays you really well, and the impact that you're concerned with is your family, then it sounds like you are in a place where that feels synergistic. And so everything is how important it feels for you. And do you recommend typically that it's better to try to make changes within the job that you have in the company that you have or for your self-employment or whatever versus trying to jump ship to a different career, a different company? I think it's very important that we don't jump from the frying pan into the fire because everywhere we go, there we are. I think if things are feeling a little funky in the place that we're in, if we can start to look at our side of the street first and clean up anything that we need to clean up and then reflect outward and see what's happening in the broader organization that might not be a fit, then we can take those learnings to the next place. But if we jump, we miss the opportunity Mm. to learn and feel more aligned at the next stop. That makes sense. Is there a way to know whether that sense of burnout and just feeling like exhausted, tired, stressed all the time Is it just about attributing it to one of those five things to figure out whether it's something internal we should be working on or whether that's our gut being like, you need to make a big shift? I think of burnout a little bit differently and a little bit separately from that framework. I think of burnout as for four things. There's biology, visible labor, invisible labor, and tolerations. Biology, those of us with estrogen have a higher propensity for burnout. So we just want to be conscious of that, that we might tip into there a little bit more readily. 
than the visible labor. So the visible labor is the work that we that is seen and is paid for. And sometimes we can be doing too much of that. And then that can make us feel burnt out or we might have a dysfunctional relationship with it, right? It might not feel aligned. Then there's the invisible labor. So this is the work that we do that is unseen and unpaid. And when it comes to underrepresented folks, we tend to do a bit more of that invisible labor because we feel like we have to. And then the fourth piece is tolerations. What are the things that we are tolerating inside of our work that we need not be tolerating? So we want to look at those four pieces and see what is real and true for us. Like, am I overworking in the visible aspect? Am I doing way too much invisible labor? Or am I tolerating things that are just so heavy and I don't need to be tolerating them anymore? If you're raising your hand right now and you're like, me, 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 a lot of those apply to me. What's the first step? What should we do? I would start with toleration. Let's make a list of 10 things that you are tolerating. Maybe you're tolerating not making enough money. Maybe you are tolerating being undersupported. Maybe you are tolerating ab- abuse and microaggressions, but I want you to make a list. And then let's see if this week we could pick two things on that list and shift those two things. What if they don't feel like they're within your power? Like what if one of them is, I don't feel like I'm making enough money and it doesn't feel like it's in your power to make more money? Money is a big conversation. It's really important if we can advocate for more money, that we ask for more money. Sometimes it's like, I feel like I'm underpaid and I'm undervalued and I want to ask for a raise, but it's this off-cycle promotion and it's not possible right now. Then we could have conversations of potential other ways that the organization could make us whole. Listen, I'm a big advocate for you being paid what you are worth, particularly for underrepresented folks. Sometimes organizations, if they don't have the budget or if it's off-cycle, there's other things they can do to make you feel more whole in the role. And that's a big and important conversation to have. And if you have that conversation and you're just hitting a wall over and over, is that a sign that maybe it is time to transition? Maybe the burnout is the red alarms that are saying you need to make real change in your life? For sure. If people consistently are undervaluing you and not meeting you where you want to go, it is absolutely a bigger conversation. What if you have too much visible labor? Like what if you just wake up every single day, your to-do list is too long, you can't get on top of it? That's true for so many of us right now because we're in this sort of like always on culture. If you have a manager, I invite you to prioritize with that manager because I think sometimes people don't have a line of sight into things. We all work at different paces and in different ways too. So we want to really share with our manager how we work, the pace in which we're working, everything that's on our plate right now and prioritize with them because not everything can be done. There's finite hours in the day. There's only so much time when our brains actually are working well. So we want to prioritize with them to see if we can shift that. Because every time we say yes to something, it means that we have to say no to something else if we really are going to honor our energy. So we want to set some boundaries there and to prioritize with them if we can. Can you tell me how that might actually go? I think that it's one thing to say, have a conversation with your manager, but that's like a very scary thing to do in practice. There's this model from the Center for Creative Leadership, and it's the SBIS model, Situation, Behavior, Impact, Solution. And I love this framework because I think it gives us a very linear, pragmatic way to have a scary conversation. What it stands for is Situation, Behavior, Impact, Solution. So we want to describe the situation. So the situation is, I have so much work that I have been working 16 hours a day. The behavior is, I'm being asked to add more to the plate, and it is not possible at this point. So the impact is that I'm working Mm. 16 hours a day, my workload is suffering, I'm missing deadlines, and it's impacting our team, it's impacting the whole company, it's impacting you know, our bottom line, whatever it's impacting, sharing the specific impact and connecting that impact to something that your manager cares about. 
hopefully your manager cares about you, but that's not always the case. So you want to bring yourself into the impact. You want to bring the team into the impact. You want to bring the company into the impact because it's likely. So even if the impact is literally just like, I feel stressed, I'm not sleeping well, find a way to be like, that means I'm not able to perform on X task at my highest level, basically. And there's likely some truth to that, yeah. right? If you're working 16-hour days and you have too much on your plate, you're going to show up differently to the task than if you were working eight-hour days and you were properly resourced and supported. It impacts our ability to be creative, to problem solve. I mean, there's science behind this. Yeah, yeah. But just make sure that you're making that connection versus just reflecting on how it's impacting you personally. Exactly. Sometimes we can have really wonderful managers that care about us as, us as individuals, but if we can sort of extend it to the broader impact across the team and the company, we make it a little bit more connective for our managers. And then what's next? The last part is solutions or requests. What is your solution? My solution is that we prioritize or my request is that we you know, bring in an intern or we bring somebody else in to help us with this workload or we start saying no. So what is the solution or what is the request? So we actually have some actions for moving forward. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. When I worked as a magazine editor, I wrote more than a thousand articles about turmeric because pretty much all of the doctors that I used as sources kept recommending it or citing it as one of the supplements that they would personally take. Here's the background. Turmeric is one of the most powerful ways to fight inflammation. In a nutshell, there are two types of inflammation, acute and chronic. Acute inflammation can actually be a good thing. It's one of the ways that your body heals and repairs itself. But when that system goes haywire, we get chronic inflammation, which essentially makes your body feel like it's constantly under attack. The vast majority of doctors I work with cite chronic inflammation as one of the root causes of so many of our modern ailments, and research links inflammation with heart disease, diabetes, autoimmune conditions, cancer, arthritis, and gut issues like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. I am never going to sit around and tell you that a supplement will cure everything that ails you, but if you're looking for a turmeric supplement to help get your inflammation under control, I am extremely impressed with Paleo Valleys. To increase the bioavailability of turmeric, you need to consume it with black pepper, which most people know, and fat, which many people forget about. Paleo Valley's turmeric complex has black pepper and coconut oil to maximize absorption and three other powerful anti-inflammatories, ginger, rosemary, and clove for a maximum synergistic response. It also has no fillers, binders, or preservatives and is made with all organic ingredients and just a veggie capsule. Finally, it's third-party tested, which is something I always look for in supplements as extra assurance of their quality. I've had my uncle taking this for about three months, and he's gone from having debilitating back pain due to an autoimmune condition to being almost completely pain-free. Paleovality has a number of other incredibly high-quality food-derived supplements, including a vitamin C that I adore. Vitamin C is my ultimate favorite supplement for skin health, and a NeuroEffect mushroom powder that Zach loves for increasing energy and focus. So definitely explore their website. If you'd like to check out the turmeric complex, the vitamin C, the neuro effect, or any of Paleo Valley's other amazing products, head over to paleovalley.com and use the code LizM for 15% off. That's paleovalley.com and code LizM for 15% off your order. And if you have any questions, feel free to hit me up on Instagram. I love chatting about this stuff. Now, let's get back to the episode. What if you feel like your invisible labor is 
too high. I think it's really important that we understand like how we got in the invisible labor situation. There's the passion tax, right? Have you heard of the passion uh-uh. tax? So the passion tax is exactly what it sounds like. When we're passionate about something, people around us may notice and we get taxed. And what I mean by that is that we're asked to do more of that thing. So then there becomes invisible labor around that thing, right? So you're amazing at this. I see you're doing so well at it. So can we have more from you? It's just so insidious. Like that's so tricky. It's so tricky. It's so tricky. So we want to understand how we arrived there. You know, is there some some sort of payoff that we're getting from saying yes to that? And how can we set some boundaries around it? I was sort of the queen of invisible labor when I was inside of an organization because I had very low self-worth and I wanted to feel that validation. So I was volunteering and raising my hand all the time to do this extra work and then was feeling so burnt out from it. And then I realized, okay. I have a little bit of a role in this. I have overextended. And of course, people like, you know, tap into that and they see that you're, you know, an overachiever and they want that thing from you. But I looked at my role first and foremost and then looked where I could shift. If you can do that, that's really powerful. We need to set healthy boundaries. It's not appropriate for people to be taking from us at all times, even if we love something. Sometimes work isn't reciprocal enough for us to give all of ourselves. We need to set those healthy boundaries so we can refuel. I think it's hard though because we often do that because we want to be perceived a certain way. Like we want the status of being the overachiever, the office success story, and it can be hard to let go of that image of ourselves. Yeah, for sure. It does ask us to really reimagine who we are. And I'm actually working on my first book and it's about ambition and it's about where our ambition comes from. And a lot of the times our ambition can come from a core wound and mine in the beginning of my career really came from a core wound of like needing to be seen, needing to be heard. And that was the the fuel that pushed me until it didn't work anymore. And I burned out and developed those two autoimmune diseases. What was the last burnout thing? There's tolerations, biology, invisible labor, invisible labor. Okay. So biology would be the last one, which we actually have a whole Ask the Doctor burnout edition where a doctor, Dr. Robin Burzen, goes into all of the different biological causes and then solutions for burnout, which is amazing, like impacting your cortisol and your adrenals and all of that. Her whole point of a lot of her life's work is about that people don't think about these biological causes Mm -hmm. and they don't address them as such. And I think that's hugely important. So I'm really glad that you're pointing that out. I love Dr. Burzen. I was totally a Parsley Health gal. Amazing. Do you have anything that you want to like add? Is it like, do you have any thoughts on the biology stuff beyond like everybody should go listen to that episode? I'm sure Dr. Burzen did that okay. beautifully <laughs> and I'm, I probably cannot add okay. to her mastery. <laughs> but do be aware that there is a biological component. I think that's very, very important. I want to throw some scenarios at you of reasons that listeners have kind of shared that they're unhappy at work and then have you just sort of apply your way of thinking to some solutions for those problems. One of the most common ones I got is I hate my boss or I hate my coworkers. What do we do there? I have so been there. In my corporate job, I used to find myself always having the quote unquote same boss. I would find this boss who was like very braggadocious. And I was like, what is this thing? Why do I keep finding the same boss that was really rubbing me the wrong way? One of the first things I'll say is oftentimes Mm. there's some shadow there. So the concept of shadow was coined by Carl Jung. And it's basically the quote unquote dark side of our personality that we learned in our formative years wasn't lovable. So we relegate it to the shadows. But what we are judging and we find irksome in somebody else, 
we are also judging in ourselves and we learned that judgment. And so the first place I always invite people to look is shadow. Not that we have to put the entire emotional lift on ourselves, but usually there is something there for us to look at and to examine. If we can peel back the layers on our shadow and just notice the things in others that are rubbing us the wrong way, and if they happen to be things that we are not loving in ourselves, there's some shadow there for us. And there's a beautiful book on shadow work that I love. It's an oldie, but a goodie. It's The Dark Side of the Light Chasers by Debbie Ford. So if you are digging shadow work or finding yourself with that same boss over and over again, that's rubbing you the wrong way, check out that book. And then the second thing I'll say too is, you know, sometimes there is harm caused at work, right? We might have a manager or a coworker that is exhibiting harmful behavior like a microaggression or verbal abuse. And so in those scenarios, we do need to have bigger conversations and maybe we need to go to HR, maybe we need to pull in our advocates and our allies. And so I just want to distinguish between the shadow piece and then when actual harm is being caused. Is there a way that we can know whether it's being caused by the shadow piece or whether we're like, no, this is very real and it needs to be addressed. Yeah. Asking ourselves, is this something that I'm judging in myself first can be really helpful. As a woman of color who has had some corporate experience and has been on the receiving end of microaggressions, they are very insidious. Oftentimes we don't realize that they're a microaggression and we tend to question ourselves. It's sort of by design we can pause for a second, if we can also check in with other people around us that might have witnessed that experience to also check in, that can be really helpful. There's also a really great book on this too. It's called The First, The Few, The Only. It's about women's experience in corporate America and how you know certain things and experiences that we can have can be kind of tricky and insidious and coded in lots of ways. If we can pull in our allies to kind of level set and pressure check with us, that's always really helpful too. And what if you go to HR, you talk to somebody, and then nothing changes? Like you still are getting those microaggressions, you've done the shadow work, all of that, but you still just don't like these people, or they're still just saying things that are inappropriate to you. What do you do then? Yeah, if HR is really not listening to you, then that's a problem. If they're not inviting this person into coaching or into an unconscious bias training or something like that, that says a lot about the organization and what they're willing to uphold and what they're not willing to uphold. And that might not be a place that you are aligned. Probably in terms of your values, it's misaligned because you might care about humans and people's feelings and personal growth, and they may not. And that's a very important piece of information. What if you don't like what you're doing, but you don't feel like you have the skills to do something else? I will say sometimes that can be true. And sometimes our skills can be transferable. When I'm working with somebody that wants to shift into a markedly different industry, we will look at the skills that they embody in their current role and what we can transfer over. I have a client that was working in social media and wanted to become a coach. And so we started to look at, okay, what are the skills that you're on the court with right now? Which one of those carry over? Where do we need to fill in the gaps? We were able to identify the gaps and then how she could fill those in in other ways through side projects, through volunteer work, et cetera, to kind of build those out to feel a bit more robust. I'll also say, and I'm curious what you think about this, but I'm a big fan of sort of like PRing your resume. I feel like people are very intent on like their resume being this very straightforward, exact representation of their work experience. And I'm kind of like every single thing we do at work can kind of be spun this way or spun this way or spun this way. Like don't lie, but there's so many different stories that can be told about every single job that we have. So tell the one that's the most applicable to what we're trying to be hired for. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. 
Let all of these pieces be highlight reels. You're absolutely right. Like we get to position it. And if you're not positioning yourself, somebody else is. So might as well tell the story that you want to tell. I agree. But what if somebody is literally like, this is my dream job. My skills are way over here. They don't align with it at all. I'm so depressed about this. I feel like it's too late for me. What should I do? First of all, I would check in with somebody else to make sure that they agree, somebody else that sees you fully, because sometimes we can be excessively humble or self-deprecating. Check in with somebody else that sees you fully. And if that is the truth with a capital T, then we want to make a plan for how you can actually build those skills. Could it be a side hustle while you're in your current job to build those out? Do you need a certification? Figuring out how we can add those in, but first of all, making sure that it is true with a capital T. I love all of your outside perspective checks, the like is what's going on in your brain actually what's happening in reality? Because I think so many times there's like a dissonance there, but it's hard to get clarity on that dissonance. And we all have forms of subconscious sabotage. It's how we evolved. And so we just want to check in and make sure we're not taking ourselves out. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. I feel like this company has been everywhere recently. And if I'm being completely honest, at first I wasn't sure if they were worth the hype. But I did a deep dive into their research and practices, and then I ordered a bunch of the products to try myself, and I have to say, I'm wowed. They simply make things that I haven't seen anywhere else and really beautifully. Anyway, if you haven't yet discovered them, I'm really excited to introduce you to Symbiotica. They're a health supplement company, but like I said, they make really different products than any other supplement company I've seen before. They have a lot of products, so I highly recommend that you peruse their website and take their quiz to find out what's best for your specific goals, but I wanted to call out a few of my personal favorites. First of all, the topical magnesium. I have literally talked about designing a product like this, so I'm both annoyed and appreciative that they got there first, but I've always wanted a topical magnesium spray that wasn't sticky, that felt good and luxurious to use, and that actually let the magnesium absorb into my body. If you have achy muscles or sore feet, this is literal heaven, and I also love it before bed to help with sleep. Also, I need to talk about their shower filter because I am probably the biggest fan of shower filters that exist. A shower filter is literally the best money that you can spend on your skin and hair care. Like literally if you're buying expensive products and you don't have a shower filter, you're almost wasting the money because you're never gonna get the results that you want. It's great for your health because you're breathing in all of that steam from your shower, but Oh my God, the vanity effect is huge. Literally, we bring ours on Nomad Life. When I travel and I don't have it, my hair is like chunkier and way less shiny and my skin is drier and it's just awful. And this is true no matter what the local water supply is like because at a minimum, all water contains chlorine, which is great because then we don't like get cholera, but it is so awful for our skin and our hair. The Symbiotica shower filter is super easy to attach to your existing shower head. It won't slow down the flow rate at all. It has twice the filtration of most other shower filters on the market, and it lasts for up to 10 months, so it's really one of those set it and forget it wellness hacks. Okay, I'm running out of time, but I also love the plant protein. If you're looking for a protein powder that tastes good, just mixed in water versus in smoothies, you will love this one. The Shilajit, which has a ton of minerals, so it'll help with hydration, energy, and brain fog. The mushrooms, which taste like fudge and are just so unbelievably good for every part of your body. And then the B12 and B6, which you might remember us talking about in the brain health episode, but it's just so key for your brain. 
It tastes super good, and I personally notice a huge energy boost when I'm regularly taking it. Of course, I have a special discount for you. Use code Liz to get 15% off site-wide or create your own custom bundle and get up to 45% off. Again, that's code Liz on symbiotica.com. Get the shower filter and thank me later. Now, let's get back to the episode. What if you feel underpaid or undervalued? And I have two questions here. I want the person who's underpaid or undervalued like within their job, career, corporation. But then I'm also curious about people who love their job, but they feel like their whole career is underpaid or undervalued by society. I'm thinking about teachers who I think we horrifically underpay and undervalue. So I'd love a perspective on both of those things. So inside of an organization, I think it's important to get a sense of what the salary bands are and where you're falling inside those salary bands. You could also look at what's happening outside of your industry and what the salary bands tend to be. Career Contessa also has something called the Salary Project where people anonymously put in their salaries so we can get a sense of what other people are being paid. Going in with that data and that information will really help your case. And then advocating for yourself. What is the thing that you really want? What is going to make you feel whole around money? And then designing a conversation with your manager, with HR, with whomever you need to design it with to make sure that you get paid. And what if they're like, we're going into a recession. We love you so much. We think you're great, but we just can't give you more money right now. It's not within our budget. I would push back on that. And I would ask like, if that is really true. And if we can also set up a check-in maybe three months from now, and if we can have the conversation again and see how the company is performing and if that's available in the near future. And then I think back to what we said before, there's other ways to be made whole. Maybe it's a bonus. Maybe it's more paid vacation and time off. Maybe they can support you with personal development. What are the other ways that they could invest in you? Because companies want to show people that they're investing in them. Otherwise, people will go somewhere else. And so what are the other ways they can show you, hey, we are in support of your growth. We really do love you. And we're not just saying that. It's such an interesting part of the work dynamic. And I feel like it's like one of the biggest points of strife in all of it is trying to figure out, does my company need me more or do I need my company more? You know what I mean? I feel like it's this constant dance. We're all in service to each other. And I think that the original organization was designed around a power dynamic. A lot of us step into that power dynamic, but we really are all in service to each other. They need you, you need them, but we show up as if there's an above or below. That makes sense. That makes sense. And it's actually kind of a nice way to put it. It feels nice that we're all in this together, you know? I love that too. What about positions that are just sort of traditionally undervalued within our society? I think... It can be hard when you're like, I'm not going to make teachers be paid more, but I'm a teacher and I love it and I'm passionate about it, but I feel a sense of frustration with the way that I'm valued societally. Like, is it like you should get a side hustle and make more money? Is it a mindset shift? What should we be doing to feel happier there? I think advocacy is so important because we absolutely do need to shift that, right? Nobody is doing like more important, more transformational work than teachers. We absolutely need to shift that and that needs to shift as a society. So the more advocacy we can do there, I think the better. And yeah, I think that there's a limit to how small we can make ourselves, right? There's a limit to how much we can slash our budgets and condense ourselves, but we're almost unlimited in terms of how big we can make ourselves. So if it feels available, like energetically, like you have the extra energy, you have the extra time to have a side hustle, that could be a space where you get to decide your own value. And I think that that can be hugely empowering because people are deciding your value for you as a teacher. So how do you kind of take your power back by creating a space where you're deciding your value? 
What are your thoughts on side hustles generally? Sometimes I'm like, yes, it's this empowering thing. You can make more money. And then sometimes I'm like, I don't know. We already ask so much of ourselves. We have so much on our plate just temporally in terms of the amount of time we have in a day. And it feels kind of crazy how much we ask people to just put more on top of that. Yes. And I don't love the language of hustle, right? I feel like it's sort of like instrumentalizing and squeezing every last drop out of our bodies when we are humans. But sometimes it's a choice. And also sometimes it can feel necessary. For example, when I was transitioning my career from marketing to coaching, I knew that I could make the dollars that I needed to make to sustain my life in marketing while I was building my coaching business. So my coaching business became the side thing until that was making enough revenue so that I could step away. And there was absolutely a tipping point where it's like, okay, it's no longer sustainable to do both of these things and I'm going to hit burnout again. And so I really have to decide. But if we're in right relationship with our energy and we're designing it consciously, hopefully it can be something that feels supportive versus always on, always doing in a way that doesn't feel good. Do you have any tips for dealing with busyness and prioritizing the things that actually move the needle in our career life? Yes. I heard from somebody recently and they referred to busyness as the smoking of our generation. I was like, ooh. Ooh. Oh my gosh. Right? So good. Like full body shivers. Right? Like hustle culture, busyness, yeah. the smoking of our generation. And so even to the point where I would say that like we think it's cool. You know what I mean? Like it's cool. Oh, yeah. Like in the same way it was cool to like stand out behind the gym with your cigarette and like the rolled pack in your sleeve or whatever. It's cool now to be like, oh my God, I'm so stressed. I have so much on my plate. I've been working till midnight, whatever. We have this false perception that it gives us a sense of status or like we're so important. Right. So many of us wear our busyness or our lack of sleep as a badge of honor, and it is not. I think it is a form of addiction. We really want to understand the why behind it, the why behind the busyness, kind of going back to what I was talking about with ambition and the core wounds, because if we don't understand the why behind it, we're just kind of trying to white knuckle ourselves out of it. So why are we choosing that? Why are we in that space? And the other piece is that we can prioritize. When I'm working with people, I invite them to do something called a vehicle scorecard. So this is how we decide how we're going to prioritize our work and our vehicles. And I ask people how heavy the lift of that thing is, how big the impact is. And the impact can be money. The impact can be joy. The impact can be cultural, societal, familial. And we want to lift the things in priority order that are the lightest lift, the highest impact. Because if we're standing in our gifts and we're lifting the thing that is lowest lift, highest impact, we're probably going to have an opportunity to make the most money with that thing, to then reinvest in the business, to then invest in resources and invest in people that could also support us in the areas that we're less good at. So we really want to prioritize based on the lift and the impact. Can you give me an example of that in practice? I recently launched a new digital course and I was deciding between podcast and digital course. And so how I prioritized the digital course was because the lift wasn't as heavy because I already had all that material written because I have training manuals from all the coaching that I do and the corporate coaching that I do. So basically the scripts were written and then all I needed to do was like hire a crew and also then create the additional resources that would go in there. Half of which I already had, like I already had the guided meditations, I already had the worksheets. So I was like, okay, in terms of a lift on one to 10, this is like a three. And then the impact is I can only touch so many people when it comes to one-on-one coaching, right? I have a capacity as a human, but a digital offering, I could touch so many more people. Like 
could touch tens of thousands of people, which is amazing. So the impact is that much bigger. And how I decided between that and podcast is that I knew I could monetize the course quickly, whereas the podcast probably would take a little bit longer to monetize. So I wouldn't be able Mm. to have the resources to invest in the lift in the way that I could with the digital course. What about time management? Are there specific things that you do to manage your own time? I believe that we all have something called authentic energy codes. Like we all have different brains and different bodies, and we basically move through the world in different ways. We want to design our work based on our energy. For example, I do my best writing and thinking at the top of the week. That's when my brain is sharpest and clearest. Mm. So Mondays, I don't coach. By the end of the week, by Friday, I really don't have capacity for any good thinking or coaching. So that's kind of my admin day. Tuesday through Thursday, 11 to 6 is sort of my prime coaching hours. And I've designed that based on my energy and when I can show up most fully for those things. So I would invite others to think about that too. When do you do your best creative work? When do you do your best thinking work? When do you do your best group work? And are there ways that you can design your work week around that? And that isn't always possible inside of somebody else's organization, but what's the smallest possible way Mm. that you could start to shift that? That's interesting. Yeah, because I'm thinking of like the person who's like, oh, I always do creative work in the morning, but their boss always schedules a touch base in the morning or something like that. It can be hard to set those boundaries. Do you have any advice actually for setting boundaries with bosses? Is it that structure you did before? Or is there any way to say like, I can't be called after 6 p.m. I just don't want to get emails. I don't want to respond to text messages after 6 p.m. Yeah. I think that's a perfectly healthy boundary to set. And then also to share it in a way that the other person can hear you. Kind of going back to that SBIS model of when I receive calls after 6 p.m., I lose the ability to decompress and to be able to show up fully for the next day. So it's really important for me that I'm able to switch off at this time so I can get back at it the next day in a way that my thinking is clear and I'm feeling more creative. What about the time management within the day? Are there any like hacks or tricks or how you organizing your time within each day? Going back to that authentic energy code piece of like, when are you doing your best work? And then can you time block based on that? Like my Mondays, again, like I'm spending two to three hours on writing and things like that. I time block my Tuesday through Thursday with my coaching hours and then add in like sales calls around that too. So time blocking can be really helpful. And then mitigating distractions too, using things like our do not disturb and making sure that we're creating the environment and the context that we need to be able to show up fully for that very specific thing. If you feel like when you're doing your creative work, you need to be in an environment where people are buzzing and there's energy there, can you also then go to a coffee shop to do that thing or be in a co-working space to do that thing? So thinking about the bigger context as well. I think environments are so important and it took me so long to almost admit that because I wanted to be like, I can write anywhere. I can do anything anywhere I should be able to. And then I would be like working at my sister's house and she'd have like plants and candles and peaceful classical music. And I'd be like, this is so, not only am I getting more done, but I'm enjoying what I'm doing so much more. And it's been a process of me accepting that environment actually matters. It matters so much. And it's a different environment for different outputs oftentimes. I know for coaching, I need to be in a quiet space. But when I first became a coach, I was working from home. And I recognized that on those Monday, Friday days, I needed the energy of other people. And so I signed up for a co-working space because I was getting so lonely. I was literally like waiting for the delivery people and like waiting for the pigeon to land on the balcony. You know, I was so lonely. (laughs) 
for the loneliness thing, remote work has obviously become such a huge thing in the last few years. Do you think that remote work is net good? I feel like we were all so excited about it. We're like, oh, I'm going to like work from anywhere. I don't have to wear real clothes. It's awesome. But then there's also, yeah, you're lonely. It's harder to be productive when you're in sweatpants and all of that. Do you think for remote work, is that something we should be like leaning into and embracing and asking for? Or do you think it's better for us to go back to an office in some sense? Harvard Business Review had an article on this, and they were talking about how the most motivated employees weren't necessarily the ones that were working from home, but the ones that got to choose to work from home. So it's like agency Mm. plus the environment that we're in. And I think it's different for all of us, and we're all motivated in different ways. And so if we can ask ourselves, how do I stay motivated? What kind of environment do I need to create for myself? And if there's ways to kind of create the space that you need. So like if you do one or two days a week need to be in a hub, is there a co-working space that you could go to? Can you go into the office? And then if you need that quiet space at home for two or three days a week, can you create that for yourself too? How can you find your own way in this? I think is really important. Agency. Back to time management, I'm curious. I've heard people say like you should only have like three things on your to-do list, otherwise you won't get it done. Or I know some people who put their to-do list directly on their Google calendar, so like they always have a time designated to do it. What do you think about little tools and tricks like that? I think that we're all different. Sometimes when we procrastinate, it's because there's a mindset challenge and we're not connected to the thing that we actually want to create. I think that it's really important that we have time management tools and hacks, but I think that there's often a mindset piece before that. If we're really resisting something, Mm. what's the story that we're telling ourselves about that thing? Are we not connected to that thing? And then... I actually like to design my to-do list by the day. So one of the ways that I mitigate Sunday scaries is by putting together a list of everything that I need to accomplish on that week and then planning it out by day and then focusing on the micro step or the single step that I need to take that day versus the entirety of the list. And sometimes it's helpful to put it on my calendar. And then sometimes it's helpful to time chunk and say, I'm giving myself two hours here to finish my admin work, to finish this piece of writing, whatever it is. Do you just have one priority for each day? There's probably like a master priority of every day, but then there are to-dos inside of each of those priorities. Is there a way of not having too many to-dos or being honest with ourselves about how much we can actually accomplish on any given day? We live in a culture of busy and hustle. And so oftentimes I think we set ourselves up to quote unquote fail or miss the mark because we haven't been really honest Mm. about what is possible for us. And so as we look at that list, what absolutely needs to get done and what would be like a nice to get done? I actually, I have this journal called the Nourishment Journal. And in the Nourishment Journal, I've kind of broken up priorities of like, what do we need to do now? What do we need to do next? And what is a do someday? Because we don't need to do everything today, right? Yes, I probably want to create another digital course, but that's a do someday. That's not a do today. And the do today is, okay, I need to focus on creating this presentation for tomorrow. The do next is, you know, I need to get my clients scheduled, whatever it is. Do now, do next, do someday, I think is really helpful. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm not sure that I've ever met someone who's a bigger fan of therapy than me. 
Fun fact, my dad is a psychologist, my mom is a psychologist, my sister is getting her PhD in psychology right now, and wait for it, both of Zach's parents are psychologists. Yeah, it's wild. Anyway, I've grown up with a front row seat to the transformative power of therapy, and I actually really credit therapy for helping me get through some of the darkest periods of my life, including when I was struggling with agoraphobia and daily panic attacks. The only rough part is that it can be so hard to find a good therapist. Sometimes it's because you live in a therapist's desert, and sometimes it's because therapy is definitely on the pricier side, and sometimes it's just because it's wildly inconvenient to commute like 45 minutes to an office for a 50-minute session, after which you have to turn around and commute another 45 minutes home. These are just a few of the many reasons I am so excited to talk to you guys about my sponsor today, BetterHelp. BetterHelp is truly changing the therapy game by democratizing therapy, making therapy accessible, affordable, and available to as many people as possible. Once you log on to BetterHelp.com, you'll fill out a brief questionnaire. Then they'll use that to match you with a therapist who is best suited to tackle your specific needs. And they have more than 20,000 to choose from, so you'll definitely be able to find a good match. Then you can schedule secure video and phone sessions, And you get unlimited messages, which is so nice for those quick in-the-moment needs. Plus, if you and your therapist aren't vibing, you can request a new one for no charge at any time. What I love about therapy is it can be a long-term thing or just used for an acute issue. Whether you're going through a stressful period at work or planning a wedding, or you just want ongoing support because life is hard and it's insane to expect that we should be able to go through it alone, BetterHelp can help. There are so many studies about the positive benefits of therapy. I promise once you have your first session, it'll feel like such a sigh of relief. If you'd like to join the over 2 million people using and loving BetterHelp, go to betterhelp.com slash healthier together to get 10% off your first month. Again, that is 10% off your first month at betterhelp, betterhelp.com slash healthier together. Honestly, I just hope this is the tiny bit of incentive that you need to begin prioritizing your mental health. Sometimes we just need a little push like a discount code to take the steps that we know will change our life, but we've been putting off for whatever reason. I love you and I can't wait for you to take this journey. Now, let's get back to the episode. I have Notion. Do you know Notion, the app? No. Tell me about Notion. Oh, I love it. It's just like an organization, list-making Like it's just an all-in-one life organizing app and my to-do list is structured in like someday to-dos, ideas I have, and then like soon to-dos. And then on Sunday, I move everything to a day of the week. But I think that that future to-dos thing is really vital because if you don't put it somewhere, it just takes up space in your brain and kind of niggles around. And I find the stress of that almost worse than anything else. Yeah, because we carry it around. I agree. Do you have any other Sunday Scaries tips? I think it's really important that we understand why the work week is feeling really scary. Are you not feeling aligned with your job? Are you not feeling aligned with your coworkers or your manager? And having a really honest conversation with yourself about what we can do there and what can shift. Maybe we're telling ourselves a story about how we have to show up and work. When I was working in my marketing career, I had a really unhealthy dose of perfectionism. And so I had the most egregious Sunday scaries because I was telling myself a story that I had to show up perfectly, which was impossible. Mm. And so it was just exacerbating stress and eroding happiness. And so what are the stories that we might be telling ourselves and what is actually happening that is not feeling good? And are there things that we can shift? 
Is there any practices that you personally do other than the to-do list? Like, I don't know, do you like meditate or go for a walk or read a book? Yes, I'm a big meditator and I think that we can absolutely do visualizations around what is coming up for us and what's feeling scary and how we can shift that. Visualization for the brain is the same as recalling a memory, which is so powerful. So I think guided meditation... Wait, 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 wait. Explain that. Visualization for the brain is the same as recall... What do you mean by that? Yeah. Guided visualization is one of the most supportive tools. I use it a lot in my practice because for the brain, as we're visualizing something, it means the same thing as if we're recalling a memory. We can create this visualization of like, oh, I feel like I'm stepping into my most empowered self and work feels really mm-hmm. good. And to our brain, it's the same as if it were a memory. So it can have this really profound impact on us. Guided visualization around work and what we want it to feel like and look like can be really powerful. Also journaling. Journaling, I think, is such a helpful and simple practice. One of the things that I love to do, I call it the wreck and the cleanup of like, just like write in your journal, let loose. Like what are the things that are feeling terrible about work right now? Like have at it, get it all out onto the page and then go back through and filter and see what is true with a capital T and what might be a story. I love that. Okay. What's one thing that you think we are all doing wrong when it comes to being happier at work? I think striving for perfection and the always on culture. It's not possible. Perfection isn't real and we are beautiful and perfectly imperfect. And that is how we are designed. And workplaces are successful because we have diversity of experience and brains and lived experience. And so the more we can live into the fact that we are perfectly imperfect versus striving for perfection, I think is one of the healthiest things that we can do. And is there anything we can do to fight the always on culture? Do you digital detox or any? What is your relationship with the vices? Yeah, I definitely do digital detox. I do at-home silent retreats sometimes where I also am not on screen, which is so helpful. Wait, wait, wait. Tell me about that specifically. Like how long do you do it? What does that look like? I actually started at the top of the pandemic because I'd done silent retreats before. And what I noticed is that, you know, it was a time where my client sessions were feeling really stressful because everyone was having a really stressful time. And then I was also at home with my partner and like there was no place to go. So I was like, I need to create a bastion for myself and a place and a way to kind of decompress. I set some boundaries around it. So I told my partner of like, you can't speak to me. If there's an emergency, you can write it on this notepad in the kitchen. And like, that is the way you get to access me over the course of these three days. I told my team like, hey, I'm not going to be checking email. I'm going to be doing this thing. And I also set some boundaries for myself around like, am I allowed to be on my phone or my laptop? And I said, no, but I allowed myself to read certain materials. There was like a book and a series of essays that I was going to read. Wait, what book? What series of essays? A Return to Love and then Dr. King's essays. I think the message in both of those really is a return to love. And it was so helpful and powerful at the time and exactly what I needed to take in because I was so overloaded with other people's messages. And I just needed like a hard pause. And it was incredible. Have you done silent retreats elsewhere? I've done silent retreats before. Yeah. And how did they compare to your homemade silent retreat? I just love that idea. I mean, it's a totally different experience, right? Because on a silent retreat, like there's other people there and like you haven't set those boundaries ahead of time and like you're operating in like an ecosystem, whereas I had kind of controlled a lot of variables in my space. So it was different, but it was still really powerful and supportive, I have to say. Yeah, I love that. So how else can we combat always on culture? 
There's this guy named Tommy Sobel, and he has a company called Brick, and he has this philosophy that we turn our phone into a brick one day a week. One day a week, we digitally detox, and we pretend that our phone isn't a phone, but it's a brick. Maybe you can't start with a whole day, or maybe you have kids, and like that's not viable, but even starting with an hour, okay, I'm not going to check my phone for an hour. I'm going to leave it at home while I go for a walk. Even that can have profound impacts for our mental health. I always want to do a day like that, but then I'm like, well, what about Google Maps? And what about like the tools that I've come to rely on on my phone? And that makes it so much trickier. Listen, if you're going on a dangerous hike and you need your Google Maps, you need your Google Maps. But also I think sometimes like we need to give ourselves permission to wander and to get lost and to be a little messy. I love that. I love that. We've talked about so many things here, but I'd love to end with one homework assignment that's geared at feeling happier if we're self-employed and running our own business. And then one homework assignment, this is something we can do immediately today, as soon as we finish listening to this podcast, that we can do to feel happier if we work in a corporate environment. I think for both, I will say, make your list of tolerations. Be really honest with yourself right now. Make a list one through 10 of the things that you are tolerating that you need not be tolerating. And it may also extend outside of work and into your partnership too. But we want to be honest about the things that we are carrying around that we are telling ourselves that we absolutely should be doing or need to be doing or have to be doing. Just be really honest about the fact that maybe it's not being supportive of you and you don't want to carry it forward anymore. And then see if you can pick one or two things this week to shift. And can you just refresh us with a few ideas of what some tolerations might be? I am tolerating doing all the invisible labor at home. I am tolerating not being properly supported by my team. I am tolerating not taking time off. I am tolerating people speaking to me inappropriately. There's some ideas for you, but this can touch all aspects of our lives from our interpersonal relationships and our partnerships to entrepreneurship to working inside of somebody else's organization. I love that. I think it's really cool when we can use work as a framework to address real issues in our personal development, in our relationships, in becoming the people that we want to be in the world. Like I think sometimes the fact that we have to work and have to make money to live can feel just like this huge beast of burden. And it's just like, oh, I have to work for the rest of my life. But to use it as a vehicle for transformation, because all of these elements are there. There's so many things that challenge you intellectually, relationship-wise, all of these things. So using it as a vehicle for transformation, I think could be so powerful. I agree with you. Like we said, at the top of this conversation, we spend more heartbeats at work than we do anywhere else. And it is, I think, one of the highest growth paths if we will allow it to be. And for you, is that about approaching it with the right mindset, having it be a growth path versus a beast of burden? Absolutely. I mean, entrepreneurship has been such an interesting journey. I think there is no space that I have ever been stretched so much as I have been stretched in this journey. But all of it has been in service to my growth. All of it has been in service to my evolution. And that's what I came to Earth School for. And so I'm here for it. I love that. Can you tell us a little bit about what work you're doing, where people can find you? Thank you. As I shared before, I just launched a new digital course. It's called the Career Up Level. So it's for anybody that wants to feel more elevated, rise to that next level in their career. And you can find that on my website, aminaaltai.com, which I'm sure the spelling will be in the show notes. 
<laughs> I'm also always accepting new applications for one-on-one coaching. That's really where my heart is. It's, there's something really special about getting to be in the space with somebody and support their transformation. And then, yeah, stay tuned because book podcasts are all on the vehicle scorecard. Just they're going to be out in the world at some point. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. What a joy. I hope you loved this episode with Amina. She had so many amazing takeaways that I'm already applying to my own life, and I hope that you love them as well. I promised you a giveaway, and we have got a good one. Amina has generously agreed to provide 10 listeners free access to her career up-level course, which normally goes for over $600. So this is like a $6,000 value. This course is amazing. No matter where you are in your career, this course will help you take it to the next level in terms of both your success, but also in terms of loving your work life and fitting it beautifully with the rest of your life. To enter, just follow both at Liz Moody and at Amina Altai on Instagram. Then comment on my most recent post, something that you loved or learned in this episode. The post doesn't need to be about the episode. I'll be able to tell that you're entering by what you write. And we will have 10 winners, so you have some good odds. So definitely give it a quick enter. You can also get a bonus entry by sharing the episode on your stories and tagging both of us. If you are new here, make sure that you're subscribed so you don't miss out on any future episodes. We have amazing ones coming up, including a crazy one about how to literally create more brain power and a highly requested guest doing a deep dive into what foods are actually scientifically proven to make the biggest impact in our health. So subscribe, subscribe, subscribe so you do not miss out on anything. Okay, I love you and I will see you next week on the next episode of the Healthier Together podcast. It takes a lot for a health supplement company to wow me, but Symbiotica really breaks the mold. If you haven't discovered them yet, they make really different products than any other supplement company I've seen before. They have a lot, so I highly recommend that you check out their website and take their quiz to find out what's best for your specific goals, but I wanted to call out a few of my personal favorites. First of all, the topical magnesium. You all know I love magnesium, and I've always wanted a topical spray that wasn't sticky, that felt good and luxurious to use, and that actually let the magnesium absorb into my body, which requires DMSO as an ingredient, which I have actually never seen in any other product. If you have achy muscles or sore feet, this is literal heaven, and I also love it before bed to help with sleep. And then I have become increasingly interested in minerals. We talk a lot about vitamins, but adequate minerals are so key for energy. And unfortunately, it's become harder to get adequate minerals because our soil is so depleted of them. The Symbiotica Shilajit supplement is one of the best mineral supplements that I've found. And the research around Shilajit is profound. There's robust human and animal research that shows it acts on ATP in a way that significantly helps restore and create energy, which is one of the biggest things that I love it for as a low-caffeine consumer. There's also robust research around its anti-inflammatory properties, its brain-protective properties, and more. I think of it more as a whole food than a supplement. It's a naturally occurring resin, and I just mix a little bit of it into my afternoon tea or my decaf coffee drinks. And like all Symbiotica products, there are no additives, fillers, toxins, or artificial flavors. 
Of course, I have a special discount for you. You can use code LizMoody to get 15% off plus free shipping on subscription orders. Again, that's code LizMoody for 15% off on symbiotica.com.